Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. What a beautiful day God has given us here in the valley. So happy to see all of you. It is a blessing to be able to start our day with singing, with prayer, with giving. In fact, speaking of giving, we go in your Bible to Acts, the fourth chapter, please. I want to ask you to go in your Bible to Acts chapter 4. I want to start this lesson by reading with verse number 32 in Acts, the fourth chapter. And we start with verse number 32 when talking about the Jerusalem church, a church that many scholars believe could have been as large as between 15 and 20,000 people by this time. This is a big church. And yet, despite that, it says in verse 32, in the congregation of those who believed, were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord, and abundant grace was upon them all, for there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. I want to begin this morning by asking you, do you have a, do you have a nickname? You have a nickname? You know, in our family, nicknames are a really big deal. My uncle, who was like my brother, because we were raised by the same people. Y'all know that. I mean, if y'all know that, he passed away a few years ago at the age of 50 of stomach cancer. His real name was Nathaniel, but I never called him Nathaniel. Nobody ever called him Nathaniel. As far back as I can remember, as far back I can remember when I started talking, he wasn't Nathaniel. He was always, he was always Uncle Poochie. He was Uncle Poochie. That's what Shawn Michael called him. That's what Janicia called him. I never called him Nathaniel. My sister-in-law, her name is Lisa. We call her Lily. And since so many brethren struggled with saying Janicia, about 17 years ago, my mentor Max Dawson said, I'm going to fix that problem. He gave her the nickname of Gigi. Nicknames are a big deal. They're a big deal in our family. And nicknames are also found in the Bible. Nicknames are also found in the book of God. There are some people in the book of God who had nicknames. In fact, one such person is found right here in Acts chapter 4. I want you to notice how during a time when the Jerusalem church is growing and it's thriving and there is great unity and peace and generosity among the brethren, a man named Joseph is given a new name. He's given a nickname, if you will. He is given the nickname of Barnabas. Barnabas. The scripture says that Joseph was called Barnabas, not by his parents or his grandparents or his brothers and his sisters or his cousins and nieces and nephews. No, the Bible says that he was called Barnabas by the apostles, the apostles. The apostles nicknamed him Barnabas, and the question is, why did they do that? Why, why did they change his name? Why did they start calling Joseph Barnabas? Well, in order to understand why Joseph is going by Barnabas, you got to understand what the name Barnabas means. 
the Bible says the name Barnabas meant son of encouragement. It meant son of encouragement. It meant that Barnabas was such an encouraging person that it was like encouragement was his father. It was like encouragement was his mother. It meant that encouragement, that's what this man was all about. This man was such an encouraging person to be around that the apostle said, we're going to have to change your name. You got the wrong name. We're not going to call you Joseph anymore. From now on, you're going to be Barnabas. You are going to be the son of encouragement. Now, this word encouragement that is used in the Bible means to build up. It means to edify, strengthen, make other people feel good and inspired. I like the way my friend Brother Roger Schaus puts it. Brother Roger Schaus says that encouragement is like putting air into a balloon. He said it's like oxygen to the soul. He said it's something that every person needs. I like that. I like that. An encourager, an encourager always has an audience. An encourager always has a group of people who needs what he or she has to offer. While they might not be doing some work that's in front of the curtain and that a lot of people are going to notice, an encourager is still doing some tremendous work. They are still serving in a very powerful way in the kingdom of God. This man, Joseph, he is such a positive and encouraging person that the apostles, they gave him the nickname of Barnabas. And guess what? We as the people of God, we still call him Barnabas today. We don't call him by his birth name. We don't call him by Joseph. We call him by his nickname. We call him Barnabas. And I guess the question is, what exactly does he do? How exactly does he encourage? Who exactly did Barnabas encourage? Well, I want to submit that Barnabas, when you read Acts, you see that Barnabas encouraged at least four different groups of people. And the first group of people that Barnabas encouraged is, number one, he encouraged new converts. He encouraged new converts. Will you go in your Bible to Acts, the ninth chapter, please? Please go in your Bible to Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, we read about what I believe is the most radical case of conversion and all the New Testament is the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. You remember who Saul of Tarsus was? Saul of Tarsus was a persecutor of the church. Saul of Tarsus tried to destroy the church. Saul of Tarsus went into the homes of Christians, separated them, separated families, drug Christians out of their homes, threw them in jail. He tried to obliterate, obliterate the church from the face of the planet. But after he saw the risen Savior, on the Damascus Road? And, and after he believed in that risen Savior and humbled himself before that risen Savior and had his sins washed away by the blood of the Savior because he was baptized for the remission of his sins, well, the Bible says he became a disciple. He became a Christian. He became a follower of Jesus. In fact, verse 20 of Acts 9 tells us that after he became a Christian, he immediately began preaching about Jesus Christ. He actually went into the synagogue of the Jews and he told the Jews that, hey, Jesus, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God because he was raised from the dead. Saul of Tarsus is very zealous about Jesus. 
after he is converted, and that leads him to being persecuted by the Jews, and he's run out of Damascus. And so look at verse number 26, please. In Acts chapter 9, verse number 26, after Saul is run out of Damascus because he's being persecuted by a group of Jews, it says when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate. Some of your translations say he was trying to join. He was trying to associate or join with the disciples there, but they were all, remember the church is about 15 to 20,000 people maybe at this time. And you got that many people. They're all afraid of him. They're all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple, but Barnabas. He took a hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he, how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. Notice how after leaving Damascus due to persecution by the Jews, Saul goes, he eventually goes up to Jerusalem. He goes to where the church first began. Back in Acts chapter 2, he goes to where the apostles are and he tries to join himself to the disciples there. He tries to be brought into their fellowship, but they reject him. They deny him. They deny him fellowship because they don't believe he's sincere. They believe he's a phony, a fraud, a fake. They believe that he is not truly converted. They are aware of his reputation as a persecutor of the church. They reject him into their fellowship. And let me just ask you, can you imagine how discouraging that must have been? Can you imagine how discouraged Saul of Tarsus must have been? Can you imagine abandoning a religion that you have been part of your entire life and being persecuted by people who at one time respected you and admired you and now these people are trying to kill you and now you're also being shunned and rejected by thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are now supposed to be your spiritual family. They're supposed to be your brothers and your sisters in Christ. These people want nothing to do with you. They don't believe you're a real Christian. Can you imagine how discouraged he was? Can you imagine how discouraging that must have been for Saul? But thankfully, there was one. There was one man who helped him. There was one man who stood up for him. There was one man out of thousands who was kind and optimistic and who told the apostles about his transformation and the bold work he was now doing in the cause of the gospel. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. He encouraged this new convert. He encouraged Saul. He believed in the, in the best in him. He believed the best about Saul when nobody else wanted to do that. And obviously, you and I both know that was the right thing to do, right? I mean, you and I know who, who Saul will go on to become, right? He will go on to become the great apostle Paul. Saul's going to become Paul. And as Paul, he's going to spread the gospel throughout the world. And he's going to plant local churches in prominent places like Macedonia and Asia and Achaia. And he's going to write nearly half of the New Testament. And he's going to one day sacrifice his life for the cause of the gospel. Saul of Tarsus is going to go on and do some amazing things in the kingdom of God. But before he does any of that stuff, he's first encouraged by Joseph. 
He's encouraged by the son of encouragement. Barnabas encouraged new Christians. And guess what? We can do the same thing today. We can do the same thing for new converts today. We can do the same thing for new converts in this church today. You see, we got to understand something in this church, the Monte Vista Church of Christ. We got a lot of new converts. We got a lot of new converts. We got a lot of people in this church who haven't been New Testament Christians past a few months, a couple of years. And we got to understand that like lions do in the wild today, that spiritual roaring lion who is the devil, he also seems to launch his most fierce attacks against the young and the most vulnerable. That's what he does. He doesn't wait very long. He knows that after people are baptized, if he waits until people start getting more Bible knowledge and they mature and they get more rock solid and strong in their faith, he is going to have a more difficult time trying to steal them away from the Lord. The roaring lion, the devil, he is after these new converts in this church. And we got to be mindful of that. We got to understand that. We got to realize that instead of being totally absorbed in our close circle of friends in this church or our close family members in this church or the people that we really enjoy talking to because they got the same kind of interest as us. Instead of putting all of our attention in the same people that we talk to every single Sunday, we got to challenge ourselves to really encourage these new converts. We got to get after these new converts. We got to make sure that they really feel part of this family. We got to get to know them on a personal level. We got to pull them aside every now and then and just ask them, how you doing? How are you doing? How you doing in your walk as a Christian? Is there anything I can do for you? Is there anything I can pray about? Is there anything you want to study? We need to go home and get on that website today. Go to that church directory. Put some names with faces. Read those bios. If we haven't noticed a new convert here for a while, we need to call those people. Check on them. Reach out to them during the week. We need to invite them into our home for dinner every now and then. We need to reach out to them from time to time, Monday through Saturday, and just say, hey, how are you doing? Send them an email. Send them a text message. Send them a Facebook message. We got to work together to encourage these new converts. They need us. They're very vulnerable. They are at an at-risk group in this church. In fact, the truth is, they may be the most at-risk group in this church. And so we got to be mindful of that. Barnabas encouraged new converts. But not only did he encourage new converts, I need to add to this, he also encouraged the whole local church. The whole local church, one just the new converts. And so go in your Bible, please, to Acts the 11th chapter. Acts the 11th chapter is a key chapter. It's one of those key chapters in the book of Acts. In Acts the 11th chapter, we find the gospel beginning to go to Gentiles. It's going to people from the other nations. About 10 years have passed since Acts chapter 2, when the church first began in the city of Jerusalem. The first Gentile converts, we can read about in Acts chapter 10, remember, with the household of Cornelius. Well, when you look at Acts chapter 11 and verses 20 and verse 21 there, you read about some guys, and we don't even know their names. They're from Cyprus and Cyrene, and, and they planted a church in Antioch. We don't even know these guys' names. 
but they did some serious work for the Lord. They, they say, hey, forget this racism junk. We're going to the Gentiles as Jews. And they plant this church in Antioch. And, and after these Gentiles in Antioch, they start responding to the gospel. They become Christians. Guess what the church in Jerusalem does? They said, we're going to send somebody to this church where there are Gentiles being converted. And you know the person they sent? Of all the people. You guessed it right. They sent Barnabas. They sent the right man for the job. And so look at what the Bible says in verse number 22. In Acts 11 in verse number 22, the news about them, that is the news about this large number of Gentile people coming to the Lord, it reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they, the church, sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord for he was a good man. You don't find many people in the Bible specifically called good people, a good man. You find that with Barnabas. That is very rare. And it says he is a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul's going back home by this point. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in this church, in the church at Antioch. So notice what we got going on here. Notice how after arriving in Antioch and seeing all these different nations, all these different nations obeying the gospel, and they're encouraging each other, and they're worshiping, and they're doing evangelism. They're doing great work for the Lord. After, after Barnabas got there and saw that, the Bible says he started helping them. He served this church. He spent an entire year with this church, encouraging these people and working with them in the gospel. In fact, he even enlisted the help of Saul. The Bible says he goes to Tarsus real quick. And he finds Saul and he allows Saul to help him work with these Christians, grow these Christians, work with this church. Barnabas is encouraging an entire local church. And guess what? We can do the same thing today. I can do the same thing. You can do the same thing. We all can do this in this church, in the Monta Vista church. You see, like Barnabas in this church, we can encourage other Christians. We can encourage them like Barnabas encouraged. We can encourage other Christians by our example. By striving to be good people like Barnabas was according to verse 24. By striving to be the kind of people who are full of the Holy Spirit through the words of the Spirit revealed through the gospel. We can strive to be people who are full of faith. We can have resolute hearts and encourage others to have resolute hearts. We can be committed. We can be committed to God. We can be committed to Jesus. We can be committed to this local church. Notice how Barnabas, Barnabas is committed to this local church. He's committed. He stays there a year with them. And he labors with them. He's all in. Do you see that? He's not going half at it here. Barnabas didn't do anything half effort. Barnabas put it, put it all out there for the Lord, gave 110% effort on everything. He's all in. He's not just filling a pew. 
He's not just assembling with the saints on Sunday. He's not encouraging these people by just showing up to an assembly. No, he's working. He's serving. He's rejoicing, doing evangelism, meeting with the church, teaching considerable numbers of disciples. Do you see that in the text? That's what he's doing. And that's what I need to do. Like Barnabas, through zeal and godly character and hard work, we all can inspire others. We can motivate others. We can encourage brothers and sisters in this entire church. Barnabas encouraged the new converts. And he encouraged the entire local church in Antioch. But then thirdly, let's add to the list that he encouraged those who needed a second chance. He encouraged people who needed a second chance. Go to Acts chapter 15, please. Look at Acts the 15th chapter. We just read about... What Barnabas does and what is, and I want you to understand this, Antioch is the first racially diverse church in the New Testament. There are no racially diverse churches before you get to Antioch. And it's interesting how they first called Christians in Antioch. That's what God wants. He wants what you see here at Monte Vista. All different kinds of nations, different colors of skin, coming together to worship his name. So Barnabas is there, and he's encouraging that church. He's doing God's work. But eventually, he starts taking the gospel across the globe with, with Paul. They go on a missionary journey together. And here in Acts chapter 15, we find them wanting to go on a, on a second journey. So notice what the Bible says in Acts the 15th chapter in verse number 36. In Acts the 15th chapter in verse number 36, the Bible says, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return. And revisit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him alone, who had deserted him, them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there was such a sharp, and that's key there. This happens between brethren sometimes. There was a sharp disagreement that they had to separate from each other. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed Sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So notice carefully what, the, what Luke is telling us here in this text. Notice we have a dilemma. There is a dilemma here. There is a problem here. Before beginning a second preaching trip together, Paul and Barnabas went on the first one together. Well, before beginning a second one that involved them revisiting some of the churches they had planned on their first trip, they have a disagreement. They have what the Bible says, a sharp disagreement. They have a big disagreement over a matter of judgment. This has to do with another Christian named John Mark. John Mark had deserted them on the first preaching journey, and Barnabas wanted to give him a second chance. Barnabas wants to give him an opportunity to redeem himself, but the apostle Paul is like, no, 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 he's not having that. He's not having that. He, he, he doesn't trust Mark. He doesn't have time to deal with Mark. He doesn't want to give Mark another opportunity. So there's a disagreement about Mark, and I really like this about the text. I like how the text tells us how instead of allowing this disagreement to hinder the work of God, everybody just kind of fold their hands and go home pouting. Instead of that, you know what they do? They split up and do, do more work. 
They don't take their frustrations with each other out on Jesus. So they split up. And, and Paul takes a Christian named Silas, and he, he goes to new territory, planting churches, preaching the gospel. And Barnabas takes Mark, and he goes back home. Remember, Acts 4 tells us he's from Cyprus. He's, a, he's from Cyprus. So he goes back home, and he preaches the gospel there. They have a disagreement. So here's the question. Who was right? Who's right in this situation? Well, I believe the Bible tells us who was right about this, this disagreement. It was actually Barnabas. Barnabas is right. You know how I know Barnabas is right? Because Paul says so. Paul says so in 2 Timothy. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, please. As Paul gets ready to close his contribution to the New Testament, he's writing 2 Timothy, and this is not long before he's going to die, be executed by the Roman government. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, he says to Timothy, only Luke is with me. So notice how the writer of Acts, Luke, the, the physician, he's the only one with Paul. Paul keeps his doctor with him all the time. And you can't blame him for that. So Luke is with him. And he says to Timothy, pick up Mark and bring him with you for he is what? He's useful to me for service. Now you got to understand this is written way after the events of Acts 15. This is written way after the events of Acts 15. And Paul has changed his mind. Paul has acknowledged something about Mark. He's acknowledging that Mark has changed. Mark has grown up. Mark has matured. Mark is no longer useless to him, but now he is useful. He wants Mark to come to him so he can minister to him while he's in prison. Paul says, Mark's a different man now. And Barnabas has a lot to do with that. Barnabas didn't give up on Mark. And over the course of time, Mark proved to be a great servant of God. Barnabas was a man of second chances. And you know what? We need to be people of second chances. We need to be the kind of people who are willing to encourage other Christians, even when they fail and they disappoint. We need to be the kind of people who can see potential in others, even when they're not at their best. We need to be the kind of people who are willing to go to a brother or a sister when they repent publicly and, and tell them, hey, God bless you. God bless you. I'm here for you. It's okay. God has forgiven you. Better days are ahead. You have a bright future ahead of you in the service of God. We need to be the kind of people who are willing to put our arms around brethren when they disappoint and make mistakes and mess up and just say to them, hey, you know what? I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I want you to come with me. I want you to be near me. I want you to serve with me. I'm going to work with you in the cause of God, and we're going to get through this together. That's the kind of man Barnabas was. Barnabas encouraged the new converts, the whole local church, people who needed second chances. But then finally, I need to add this very quickly. He also encouraged people through his giving. Through his giving. And that's really the first thing we're told about him, right? Let's end where we started, back in Acts chapter 4 again. In Acts chapter 4, as Luke starts telling us about this man, he says in verse number 32, or 36, I'm sorry, Acts 4, 36, now, Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, 
who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money. And he laid it at the apostles' feet. Notice how the first thing Luke tells us about this man, besides the fact the apostles changed his name, is he tells us this man was unselfish. He's a giver. He's a giver of money. He actually sells his property and he gives the proceeds to help needy Christians. He sells his farm. Sells his land. He gives the money to help Christians. Can you imagine how encouraging that must have been to those brethren? Can, can you see that in your head right now? Can, can you imagine how just stunned and amazed and just uplifted those Christians in Jerusalem must have been when they saw this guy, Joseph, sell the farm, sell his property, and give the money to help Christians to make sure they don't go hungry, to make sure they don't go without the basic necessities of life. That is amazing to me when I read that. You know, so often when we think about encouragement, you know what we focus on? We focus on words, right? We focus on words. We focus on saying nice things and giving people compliments and, and telling people, keep up the good work. And don't get me wrong. Hey, that's a big part of encouragement. That's a big part of this work. We need to do that kind of stuff. But notice from Barnabas, we learn that it's more than that. It's more than just nice words and, and, and saying that a boy and keep going. No, encouragement also involves helping people, helping the needy. Giving money to somebody who's hungry. Buying them a meal. Fixing them a meal. Buying them a gift. Even giving them our time and our presence when they're sick or grieving. That's what Barnabas does. Barnabas teaches us that there's so many different ways we can encourage people. And so here's my challenge to all of us, even me. Here's my challenge to the whole room this morning. You ready for the challenge? Here's the challenge. The challenge is, please find some people this week, from this time to next Sunday, find some people to encourage. Find some people to encourage over the next seven days. Find at least one new convert in this church. And if you need some help identifying those folks, go to the shepherds. They, they will be more than happy to help you. But find at least one new convert in this church that you can encourage. Find at least one person in this church that you can text or email or say something encouraging to. Find at least one person that you can do something for. Maybe take them to lunch. Maybe ask them, what can I pray for you for? Maybe visit them. Maybe invite them into your home to spend some time with. Challenge yourself over the next seven days. To be like Joseph, to be like Barnabas, to be a son or a daughter of encouragement. I guarantee you, my dear friends, that if we do that, if we do that, we're going to bless somebody's life. We're going to bless some people's lives. We're going to please the Lord and we're going to feel good about about our discipleship. We can't ever have too many. Barnabas is in the church. Would you agree with that? Can't have too many of those people. Now we could use, we could always use less gripers and complainers, but, but you can't have too many Barnabases. 
Can't have too many of those kind of people in the church. In fact, maybe you need that this morning. Maybe you need some encouragement right now in your life. Maybe you're a Christian, you've committed sin, and, and you need to repent, and you need us to put our arms around you and encourage you as a brother or a sister in Christ. We'll be more than happy to, to do that. Or maybe you need some encouragement as you begin your walk with Christ. Maybe you need to confess faith in Christ and repent of sin and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. We will encourage you as well as you begin your walk with Jesus the Christ. If there's anyone here this morning who needs some encouragement from God's people, come to the front. Let us help you with that as we stand and we sing together. Would you